Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are back in Romans, Paul's master work. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the podcast all about Romans, you will you should take a chance because it goes through the overview, the context, and kind of what's going on, which makes sense. Today, however, we're going to turn the page a little bit on it, and we are going to jump into a much more doctrinal side of the story. So have you ever felt like trying to live the gospel is too hard, that maybe you've just tried and you just can't make it? I see this a lot with maybe younger people. I think they they think they're, they've got all this baked and they're like, I'm going to go graduate high school and I'm in college and I'm going to go on my mission or I'm going to get out in the world and I'm going to be able to just do this thing. And they get out there and they slip up and maybe they slip up again and again and again and they just kind of say, man, this is, this is impossible. This is impossible. I can't, I can't do this all the time. Um, this is too hard. And so a lot of times you just see them wanting to give up and sometimes they hide just kind of drift away and sometimes they leave or maybe on the other end of the spectrum have you ever seen somebody in the gospel that just says you know I'm, I'm going to do this perfectly and they just try to be so perfect so good at everything they they do their genealogy and they read their scriptures and they learn biblical hebrew and they minister to everybody in the ward and they go to every church activity and they read their scriptures and they just almost it's exhausting watching them they're just it's overwhelming and they say i i can be perfect i can do it have you ever seen either end either where you're so tired you just can't make it or you're so overwhelmed that because of the perfectionism well the first three chapters of romans answers the why we don't have to give up or feel like we have to be perfect and that's the good news of the gospel so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to cover in very brief Romans 1 to 3. I'm going to just do a few key verses. And what we're going to do is deep dive into some of the key terms. Now, I found, I know I've mentioned it, but I have found Paul pretty hard to follow. So one of the tools that I need to use is that I kind of peel the words apart. So I go all the way back to the words and really dig into what they mean. Then when I go back and reread the verses, the scripture bursts open with meaning. So I'm going to walk us through that today. And buckle up, it is a roller coaster ride of scripture fun. So go to Romans 1, and we're going to just do Romans 1, 16, 17, and then we're going to jump to Romans 3, 23 through 25. So I realize it's only five verses, but they are some powerful words. They're, you know, I really struggled with this. I, I didn't know if we should do the first part, the second part, and do the whole history, but this this is really strong stuff. So Let's do it together. One, Romans 1, 16, 17, and then Romans 3, 23, 24, 25. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Then Romans 3. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Okay, so that that's a lot of words. Um, and a lot of them are hard to follow. So let's try to break it down. First, Paul is talking about the gospel, the good news. He is talking about salvation. So this is big. This It couldn't get bigger. There couldn't be a bigger topic. And so we're going to take a long aside, but it'll be worth it. And then we're going to come back and we're going to read these verses again and see if they don't jump out at you with new power and meaning. So we'll do the definitions, but after we'll try to go back and I want you to go back and reread the verses yourself and then read all three chapters and see if you can follow Paul's reasoning. Okay. So here's some of the technical terms that I want us to break down. We're going to do gospel, grace, justification, righteousness of God, covenant, and faith. Gospel, grace, justification, righteousness of God, covenant, and faith. Okay, first, gospel. I mean, that's the easy one, right? I mean, we all know what that means. Uh, good news. The word evangelion evan literally means good news. It is the good news. We sometimes use the word, though, to mean more than that. We kind of use it like the entirety of the Lord's church, like uh, I'm trying to live the gospel. Uh, and we've even named some of the church apps like the gospel library. And we go to classes, the gospel principles class or the gospel doctrine class. And, and that's kind of a slightly different take on the gospel. That definition is kind of everything about the church and all everything all in. But this is just he's saying the good news. So just replace it with the idea of the good news. And the good news, the core doctrine that Jesus brought and was, uh, is this first part. For Paul, so so anyway, so think, think about that first part, that the good news is this core doctrine that Jesus brought. And that is that Jesus paid the price for our sins, 100%. Bills paid, in full. And, and we will be resurrected. And that, that is super good news. Um... There's, there's a lot here, but 100% bill paid, that is the good news. The next one is grace. Now, grace is one that you hear a lot, um, both in uh, the New Testament and the Book of Mormon, um, a little bit in the Doctrine and Covenants as well, is this term of grace. And we kind of kind of get it. Uh, grace is the love of God that gave us his son. It's the atonement which made it possible to live again. It is grace that forgives our sins and makes us clean. It is the salvation from sin and death. So you can kind of just insert the atonement. It is grace is this extension of, uh, it's God's love and power. It's his divine power and love. Grace is the ability to overcome the trials of the world through the love of his son. Grace is the ability to overcome the trials of the world through the love of God. So we don't earn grace. We don't deserve it. It is God's gift to us, the gift of his son. And that is a big topic. It is a big one. Um, 
couple places I, I'm going to put in the show notes. Check out Elder Uchtdorf's conference talk, The Gift of Grace. It is amazing and well worth your time. So The Gift of Grace. And you can also check out Brad Wilcox's BYU devotional, His Grace is Sufficient. And he has kind of the parable of the piano in there. Um, those were really, really powerful for me. And I almost just did a deep dive in those for the class. But check those two out, Elder Uchtdorf and um, Brother Wilcox uh, on Grace. They are amazing. I'll leave it in the show notes. Worth it. Okay. So we've got gospel. We've got grace. The next one is justification. Anytime you hear the term justification or just or even justice, it most likely means the same thing. And it's simple. It means made clean. Now, the Book of Mormon uses words that are a little bit easier. Those prophets say guiltless. Another is blameless. Those terms are usually used to identify a person or a group who have been forgiven of sins. So in Mosiah, for example, King Benjamin speaks of retaining a remission of your sins that ye may walk guiltless. That's Mosiah 4.26. Alma says, have ye walked keeping yourself blameless before God? Alma 5.27. And Jesus promises those who repent and are baptized and faithfully endure to the end, him will I hold guiltless before my father. That's it. It's just a big fancy word to say that you have been made guiltless through the atonement of the Savior. So just replace, replace justice or justified uh, with made clean or blameless or 100% forgiven, and you're on the right track. Okay, so far so good. The next one's a little bit bigger. We talked about it a little bit last time, but it's God's righteousness. And this phrase that we did, the righteousness of God, some translations you'll hear faithfulness of God. Both of those terms, righteousness of God or the faithfulness of God, are trying to capture a really big idea that in English is hard for us to capture. Um, but Paul uses, let me see if I can break it down. So Paul uses uh, it in this Old Testament sense, like Psalms and Isaiah, the righteousness of God. It is God's determination to be just, faithful, true to his word, and to be true to his covenant. Uh, the covenants that he made with the house of Israel. It means, how is God going to make good on his covenant promises? So think if you were a Jew in the first century, namely these guys that are Romans, they, they're kind of waiting for, for a fulfillment of God's promises. And so they're like, where is this righteousness? Where is his faithfulness? How is he going to make good on his side of the promise? And if you track back to the New Testament time, a lot of them have been waiting and the prophets promised and and the Lord said he's going to fulfill his promises. Um, so that's all that means. But what promises is he talking about? And this is where it gets a little deeper. Those are the covenants. So how is God going to make good on his covenants? Which covenants are they? They don't say it exactly, but I think they're going to be a couple. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham 2. That through all Abraham's families, uh, through, that all people through Abraham's family would be blessed. Jews and non-Jews. Do you remember? It says that, I always think of the three Ps, right? That he will have the priesthood, he will have posterity, and he'll have a place to put it. But the idea is that through, through him, all nations, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, will be blessed. Um, the gospel, the good news, will be for everyone. It's going to bless all people. So it isn't just Jews and Gentiles. It's, it's everybody, uh, all time, all time. 
Then, so that's the first one, the Abrahamic covenant. The second one is Second Samuel seven. That's the the part that says that a king would come and rescue them, that he would usher in a new era, that this king, this chosen one, this Messiah, Hebrew, that's what Messiah means, the anointed one. Uh, in Greek, it's Christos or Christ, that this king, this Messiah or Christ would come from the house of David. And he's going to do a couple of things. He's going to make a land free of oppression and the temple would be there. So Paul, Paul wants to go on and show that God was faithful and righteous in keeping up his end of the covenant through Jesus. So he's going to bless all people and he's going to bring in a new king that's going to free us from oppression. And he's doing that through Jesus. He is blessing Jew and Gentile and that his new kingdom is here, the kingdom of God, and David's son is the king. For Paul, the Messiah has come and was crucified and raised from the dead. And he, and he realizes that this was the realization of the prophecy. The covenant justice of God is unveiled when we talk about Jesus. Teach the death, atonement, and resurrection. God has been faithful. It was a fulfillment. He is righteous. Is that surprising? Yeah, that wasn't what he... Paul, maybe as a Pharisee, or many Jews expected, yet here he is. Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of covenant promises. Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus has been faithful for the purposes of God for Israel, and this makes the covenant work. He is the embodiment of God's faithfulness. So when he does he will bless those who are loyal to the covenant. So how do you express your loyalty? Um, if you were an Old Testament person, you kept the law. You expressed your loyalty by following the law, which is the Torah or the Torah, which is, isn't just the law of Moses. It's, it's a little bit more than that, that, that's certainly part of it. But it's the outward practices. It could be circumcision or Sabbath day observance or going to the temple or eating certain things or wearing certain clothing those are your works that you do to show that you're loyal to the covenant, right? So um, we would call that justification by works. Hey, quick aside here, though. The Old Testament people didn't think that these actions saved them. They didn't do these and then they would be saved. They did these to show they were part of the covenant. They were justified. They were made blameless because they did those. Uh, they showed their loyalty. All right. So let's tie all this together. Uh, the way that this all ties together is how the covenant relationships intermingle and works together. God sets the term of the covenant. In ancient terms, he is the patron. Uh, so you can see that in Luke 6, 46, or Matthew 7, 21. The term Christ isn't a last name. I mean, it's not Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph Christ, right? He is the Messiah. It emphasizes the relationship. We are the clients and he is the patron. As patron, he gives us grace and salvation. And in return, as his clients, as his faithful members, as his children, he asks us for faith, faithfulness, allegiance, which includes doing work. Uh, let me give you a quote here from a great uh, book from, it's by Bates, it's called The Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Rethinking Faith Works in the Gospel of Jesus the King. And he says this, The offer of salvation is free, but it absolutely does come with strings attached. 
obedient loyalty to the king is required as a condition of acceptance. The modern notion of the pure gift requiring no reciprocation does not align with the ancient evidence pertaining to grace. We should not set grace at odds with the required behavioral changes or good deeds associated with allegiant union to Jesus the King. In short, we cannot say in an unqualified fashion that final salvation is by grace and by faith apart from embodied obedience, for this understands both the nature of grace and faith. So what he's saying is that salvation is free but we have to do something. So we don't earn earn grace. We don't earn salvation. But as a witness to um, to our patron, he asks us to do things. Right. So, all right. So we've uh, we've talked about the covenant. We've talked about the idea of grace and the good news that we've been saved. Um, let's land the plane. Let's tie it up. Bring it home. See what I did there? That's like a Pauline set of metaphors just for you. Anyway, so for us in the 21st century, how do we, if getting in on the covenant is how we obtain this grace, um, how do we get in on it? How are we blessed? And what's our side of the deal? As clients to the great patron, how do we stay true to the covenant and show our allegiance? Well, that last key ingredient to this equation of how to qualify is that of faith in Jesus Christ. Just having faith in ourselves or man or the world isn't enough. The key special ingredient is faith in our Savior. I love how it says it in Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. As Jesus paid the price of sin, his grace ultimately saves us. Thus, we have to believe in him. We have to be faithful to his commandments. I really like the idea that faith has a connotation of action. So we usually say someone that has faith has been faithful. And if you think of what does that mean to say you were faithful, it doesn't mean you just sat around having belief and going, well, I believed. When we say someone was faithful, what do you think of? Think of someone right now, think of somebody that you say, man, they were really faithful in their life or they are really faithful right now. It's action. They were someone that lived what they believed. They walked the walk and talked the talk. So we must act as he asks us to, and that's expressing that we have faith. Uh, also Hebrews, my very favorite, um, says that we're reminded to uh, be hospitable to strangers, to show love, to remember those in prison. And the instructions go on and on. So faith isn't just blind belief, it's action. It's obeying the Lord, showing our belief in him and his grace, and by loving and obeying him. If you love me, keep my commandments. In, in the New Testament times, the covenant is extended out to all people, right? We know that first it was, it was Old Testament, and then it, it goes out. But if, you, if you're not Jewish, then maybe you have some other forms of work to show your faithfulness. So you might not have to worry about kosher law and circumcision, but you do have to do others. Um, what are the things that we have to do? Mosiah 18 has a great list for what we promise to do. Mosiah 18, 8. And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus were they called. And now, as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and be called his people, and are, be, and are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, yea, 
and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places that ye may be in, even until death, that ye may be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that ye may have eternal life. Now I say unto you, if this is the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord as a witness before him, that ye have entered into a covenant with him, that ye will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you. Uh, powerful stuff. Did you notice everything we talked about? We enter into the covenant of baptism and we show that we are willing to do this covenant by serving him, keeping his commandments, mourn with those that mourn, stand with those that stand in need of comfort, witness at all times and all things, all places, even unto death, that you may be redeemed, right? That we may be in the first resurrection. That's how we do it. I witness that I'm on the team when I do those things. By doing what Jesus asks, we fulfill our terms of the covenant, and that's how we gain grace. By fulfilling our callings, by learning and trying, we witness that we do always remember him. Wow, I think we did it. I think we covered all the terms that Paul does in Romans 1 and 3. So let's reread it, and let's see if it makes more sense. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Paul reminds us that God will make good on his promises. He will save all people. He also told us how we show our allegiance, how we keep in the game by living our covenants. How are we saved? Grace. Jesus does it. We don't earn it. How do we show that we're in on the team? We enter into the covenant. We show faith. We do good works. The works don't save us. They are a result of our faith. We endure to the end. We share each other's burdens. And we witness that we remember him always. And that, Scriptorians, is good news. More next time. We'll finish up and we'll jump into Romans 4. Keep on reading.